0: welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of life a weekly podcast for bjj enthusiasts who are striving to succeed both on and off the mats this podcast is brought to you by Robless, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel and here are your hosts on the jujitsu of life carter fisk and mo siddiqui
1: welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu of life podcast this is episode number 175.
2: yo Man, I thought we were still, like, at 169 for some reason. It just keeps going up and up, man. I thought we were yeah, actually 176,
1: how, how so I was, oh, was okay. going to overshoot. But then I looked, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I was on 175, so.
2: Nice, nice. Yeah. Man, We yeah. started this thing. I never, I, you know, yeah, I didn't know where this was going to go. It's weird to be at 175, almost hitting 200 episodes. I know. Yeah. I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I've, I've been doing, we've done 170-some-odd
1: episodes, and they're like, oh, really? Yeah, I've never listened. I'm like, thanks.
2: <laughs> thanks, well, mom. we're just going to keep doing it until you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a, a
1: buddy of mine who, um, I forget how it came up, but I just mentioned that I had a podcast. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, we've been doing it for like three years. He's like, oh, oh, send me the link. And he listened to it. He's like, oh, man, that was, that was pretty good. You guys are, are pretty funny and all that. I'm like...
2: Feel free to tell people, because
1: uh, <laughs> no, no one seems to care. So,
2: well, you know, Joe Rogan lives in Austin now, so like that's kind of I, what I tell people is that our podcast was really on the way up until he came to town, and yeah, you know, we we're having to deal with that sort of competition. And I wanted to ask him actually, since you know uh, he's here, is like, hey, what advice does he have for for the small guys? I, you know, some I, I think it was uh, I was an article I was reading that. He had done a pod, he had done his podcast for like ten years before it gained any traction or anything like yeah. that. I don't know if that's true or not, but he did. He started. has been doing it for a long time. Yeah, 2009 is when he started. So, yeah, he's been do, he
1: did for a long time, and it was like in his house, and he would just have he would basically Skype it in with a couple of his buddies, and it was like that yeah. for a long, long time. And then somehow, somewhere along the way, it it took a different turn, and uh, he finds himself in a very unique position now because it's like he's become such an influential person. And that's got to be weird when, you know, you look at a lot of people that get into radio and, you know, news anchor people and whatever, and they, they clearly want, most of them have the ambition to become, you know, the, the Walter Cronkite or the whatever people on radio want to become, you know, the Rush Limbaugh, or the Howard Stern or whatever. Like that's, that's the goal. But with podcasting, there really wasn't much that, came from it when it started and and people were kind of dismissing it for a long time. So it's gotta be a weird thing to just suddenly become the guy, you know what I mean? To the point where from, from what we've heard, you know, he, he has to have security around him all the time. And, um, he's probably just mobbed by 20 something dudes that are like, I want to be like you. That's, that's gotta be weird
2: because it's Or, or or, You also bring on all the negative. I think you bring on more of that than anything else, you know, yeah people yeah. that disagree with you and hate your opinions and yep. you know, um, like I guess he he recently got covid right, yeah, and he has different ideas about how to deal with the virus. yeah, and he being a public figure, he publicly posted it on yeah. what he how he was handling the situation. And yeah. he got a bunch of blowback from a bunch of people. Yeah. And I'm not sure if he's, if he's the type of person. He probably doesn't care, but, you know, um, still, you have to kind of deal with all of that, right? Which kind of leads to what we were talking yeah. about today, right? Like yeah. I was telling you about, I'm always in search of, I don't know, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm on the brink of being a serial entrepreneur, right? Like I'm, I love yeah. to start new businesses. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy it, really, really enjoy it. But I'm always looking for the business the unicorn, as I call it, the one where it just makes me a lot of money and I don't have to deal with any people. (laughs) I don't have to deal with any customers. I don't have to deal with any stress. I don't have to do any work and I'm in search of it. And I'm hoping that one day I find it. But prior to us starting this podcast today, um, we were talking about like, man, maybe that doesn't exist. There's always a certain amount of drama and work you're, you're going to have to do in, in any business. And it's an, it's a give and take. Um, so maybe it's more about finding the business that suits your personality the best. You know, yeah. what you see as drama, other, what other people see as drama, you might see as, no, I actually enjoy solving that problem, yeah. right? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Does I, a unicorn exist? Yeah. I have yep. not. Now, mm-hmm. So that, I, I can stop wasting time looking for it. <laughs> I believe it does. And
1: I will, I thought- I will find it. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to tell me what the unicorn was. I'm like, this is great. I'm going to make all this money. I'm not going to do anything. I like this plan so far. I can do those See, two things. Kind of I can like, make that's money. And that's do kind notice. of like
2: winning the lottery, right? That's the lottery. I guess yeah. that's the unicorn. Okay, yeah. there we go. Um, you know, it, it's um,
1: you, you do have to pick the drama that suits your personality because there's some things that, uh, you know, when I tell Chantel, my wife, like some of the construction difficulties or whatever... I usually can't even get through the sentence before she's like, "I, I, I can't listen to this. I can't, it's too stressful. I can't even hear it. It's too stressful. And yet she is able to navigate through marketing and things like that. Understanding you have to speak things in a language that's inclusive, that, that doesn't make anyone feel left out that, that meets all the political sensitivities that are of the day, but still get to the point quickly and make it fun and do like all these things that she's so good at. And it's like, I think about that and it just makes me want to smash things like the stuff that she has to like, she's like, well, I can't say it like this because then these people will get mad. I'm like, and I'm just like F these people. I don't like my immediate reaction is like, I don't care. I want to smash them. I'd, I'd smack them in the face if I saw them. And it's like, I could never <laughs> do what she does because to me, it's so stressful worrying about like appeasing somebody's sensitivity or their feel I don't care. Like that's, but, but I can handle Dealing with subcontractors and city city you know the city people the the permit process the this the that like all that stuff as much as I I don't like it but I see the the vision of what can happen and, and the possibilities with that and I'm like the harder this is it's almost better because that means it's harder for everybody else that means fewer people want to do it so therefore it's good for me but what she does I just could never do what you're doing with Nice Guy I could never do like the idea of Giving bids to people, the idea of being responsible for others, you know, a subcontractor's work. It's like I've just had so many bad experiences with subcontractors that I'm paying that I'm like, I can't imagine putting my name on somebody else's work to get paid. for. Like, I I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 finding this. I guess it's like finding the thing where you see the vision and the possibility. And that is that overpowers the negativity. Because there's other things to me where it's like, yeah, I see some of that, but the negativity is so much more powerful that I, I can't get past it, you know? And You I, know, Nav,
2: Naval Ravikant says something similar where uh, – it's, it's sort of similar – where he talks about um, when people ask him what they should be doing with their life, he was like, find the thing that's worked to everybody else, but it's played to you. Yeah, right? okay. And specifically yeah. in his his example that he gives is coding. He's like, for a lot of people, coding is very frustrating – um, they don't like it. It, it. It's a job because and for other people, it's really a game and they enjoy it and they can do it for hours on end. Yes. Um, and so you've got to find that thing in life where for other people, it's yeah. work, but for you, it's play. And then you can find, um, you know, success. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's funny.
1: So today, um, usually Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, that's been my pattern for the last couple of months. I go up to Temple, which is about an hour north where I have the warehouses and some of the rental properties and all that. And I, I'll listen to podcasts and do different things when I'm driving. But but as soon as I get to the, like the just the, the south um, border of Temple, I, I turn off the podcast and I, and I take different routes into town each time. And as soon as I turn off the podcast, in my mind, now I'm working because I'm looking to see like what's changed, what's happening with this project. OK, they were tearing this building down. Is it still like that or have they moved everything away now? Like what's the progress? Who's selling this? Who's selling that? trying to just constantly get more and more of this town of everything that's happening, especially in the commercial real estate front into my subconscious. Um, They just did a Dutch brothers. They did two of them in temple, one on the West side, one on the East side, that company just went public, but I knew something was going to happen with that company before it went public. Not because I looked it up, but because I'm like, they're building a lot of these here and I know they're selling the buildings once they're built and leased out. I'm like that's somebody who's trying to raise money. I'm like they're either trying to raise money for some expansion or they're going to go public. I told Chantel that like a couple months ago, and then I look in the news and the, you know look online a couple weeks ago and they went public. So it's it's kind of keeping an idea of everything that's going on, and to me I find this endlessly fascinating. Like so much fun. Like it's you can envision the future in a place, and like the right across the street from the warehouse. I saw a couple guys with, um, I don't know the exact name of it, but we'll just say detrievers or whatever, like things that are going to rip things out, trees out by the stump and, and stuff like that, and backhoes and all that stuff. And I saw one guy fixing his up, and the other guy was out in this like sort of somewhat heavily treed area across the street from the warehouse. And I was like, something's going on here. And I texted the uh, the broker that I know, the property manager. And he's like, yeah, let me, I'll find out. And it turns out the people that own this one property are, are expanding out. So the next time I came out there, the whole area was clear. And, it, and it's a totally different feel when you see this huge, basically empty lot, this multi-acre lot versus just like trees. You look at it, one is it's like, okay, that's just sort of a tree area. Now you're like, ooh, something's about to happen here. So I find that endlessly fascinating. I try and get other people to be excited about that. Much less so. I find a lot of people looking on their phones or doing this, or I start talking and their eyes start glazing over. I'm like, so for me, this is endlessly fascinating. For other people, possibly those listening, much less so. So I, I agree with Naval. I mean, you have to find what is is play to you, what's interesting, because there are going to be drama, difficulty, ridiculousness, things that make no sense, horrible people, all the, the sort of standard things of life are going to find their way into your business. They are going to guarantee doesn't matter what their business is. So the overarching thing has to be something positive because if those negative things start outweighing it, then it's, it's probably not the right business for somebody mm-hmm. because it's, you know, it, it doesn't matter 100%. what business So, um,
2: and it's It's, it's funny. hard to be successful at something that you don't like. And and it's not impossible, but I think it's not sustainable at the same time. So what I mean by that is that either one, if you don't like what you're doing, you're probably not going to do it to the best of your ability, the fullest of your potential, and therefore you're not going to reach the level of success that you probably want. Or you're able to do what you do not like doing at a very high level, but because deep down you really hate it. Yeah. It's not sustainable. It's only a matter of time before you need to delegate it to someone else, or just find a different direction and 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 move there. But you did talk about something that I think is very very uh, important, and and uh, it's an, just an important idea and concept to think about. And it's a, a, about you know the um, the high barrier to entry. Yeah. Right. You made a comment about that, about how that's such a good thing, I, and I and I want to really get into the details of, of what you mean by that for people that are just starting off in business i also think it has some um it's applicable to people uh, that are practicing jujitsu in a lot of yeah. ways yeah um but what what do you what do you mean when you say uh it's actually better that there's a high barrier to entry yeah so and it's Is it less than it's a competition
1: yeah, yeah. And it's, you're right, because there have been times where low barrier to entry was the appeal. And now in something new, it's high barrier. So what I mean by that is to get into commercial yeah. construction and development, uh, you need to have either a lot of money, a track record or a track record and a lot of money. Like you need one of those three, preferably the last one. And especially when you're starting out doing it, because if you don't have the money or the track record of income and and current high income, you're just simply not going to get a loan. I mean, like you might be able to get a loan on, on already established things, apartment buildings and stuff like that, but to build something from the ground up, they just, they're not going to trust newcomers on that. So you have to kind of buy your way in on something like that. Uh, And then additionally, like we've talked about on this project, if anything goes wrong, it's out of your pocket. And that can be anywhere from you know, oops, we forgot about the price of rebar going up, so that's another two thousand bucks. To oops, we forgot that uh, part of my language, shit flows downhill, so there's a plumbing issue that's going to be another sixty thousand dollars. And if you were asking me on Saturday, you're like, well, what if you didn't have the money? I'm like, I think I'd be screwed. I think I would just be screwed. I mean, I I don't think the bank would renegotiate. Um, I have no idea what would happen. So there is, you know, that sort of, I always do like a 10% of the total budget, have that extra in the bank ready to go. But when you're talking about, you know, an $800,000, a million dollar project, that's $80,000, $100,000. You just have to have in cash just in case something goes wrong, which it will. So that is something that most people are not going to be able to do, especially at a certain age. So it's something where that's why most people either, are very slick political sort of dare I say manipulative con artisty type of developer guys. Or they're guys that have, like me that have been in business for a decent amount of time are now doing this. You build up a track record doing something else. But for somebody just to come in brand new and try and do something like this, I don't see it how it's possible. Because you just you're not and so gonna So why be- is
2: that why is that yeah and, and so and I, I may it may be stating the obvious, but why is that a good thing?
1: Well, for me, it's a good thing because with the, especially with development itself, there's the old adage that people don't build because there's demand builders build because they can. So making sure that I'm keeping supply relatively low makes the property more valuable. If everyone can do something and now you're just dumping a whole bunch of product at the same time, then it's something where now what you're doing is less valuable. So it's sort of like if, if, god forbid there suddenly became all these custom geek companies out there it would be a little bit harder to distinguish yourself even though you're the first one to do it been doing it since 2015 have the best looking models in the business still <laughs> it might be hard list to to move forward because i mean like it becomes harder when there's more competition and and we've talked about peter thiel and people like that saying don't compete find something find an arena where there is no competition and i, I think there's Something to be said for that. So, one way to eliminate competition is higher barrier to entry. So, for me at this point in my life, it's good. But, you know, 12 years ago, I liked mobile homes because it was a very low barrier to entry. You know, it was something that literally almost anybody with a little bit of money or even not necessarily a little bit of money, just um, being able to structure the
2: right deal could do. And, and and so that and sometimes that you need to start right just I mean, for the sake of uh, yeah, yeah capital things like that yeah i th-
1: i think starting with low buried entry is probably the way for most people to go and then building up cash flow building up nest eggs building up relationships to then make the transfer to high buried entry and if we said mobile homes that would be from buying individual homes to buying the entire park that's one way to do it it's like another way to go
2: John you know? Pedro, right. That's really yeah. what he did. Low barrier to entry. And now he's eliminating competition, whether that was his goal or not. Yeah. I, I think probably his goal was, you know, this is a better investment. These are this is better long term investment. Yeah. It's going to make me more money. But now he's buying mobile home parks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, which is yeah. the average investor is not going to be able to do. Correct. And I think
1: the other thing to be said on on higher barrier to entry stuff is they tend to be bigger and slower. So you know, John buying a mobile home park, it's like you could buy two or three mobile home parks in a year, and that's a lot, versus if you're buying individual mobile homes, you might need to buy 20 or 30 or whatever it is. I mean, with me with this warehouse deal, just on net cash flow alone, it's the equivalent of about 20 deals that I would have to do on single family homes to make the same amount of cash flow. So For me, the idea of spending a year doing one deal versus doing 20 in one year becomes more and more appealing, especially as markets change. And then again, with single family, the barrier to entry is is relatively low. So there's more and more competition. The the hotter the real estate market gets, the more people are going to flip houses and make money. And then when the real estate market goes down, just like these crappy waitresses you might find at places in San Marcos, all of a sudden, when the economy goes down, a lot of these terrible excuse making waitresses are no longer going to have a job <laughs> because uh, right now, like it's funny. I mean, you know, people are literally fighting to keep employees because employees will work at places, waitresses, any sort of the service industry. They'll work there for a couple of weeks and then they'll just quit. And a lot of times they won't even have the decency to quit. They'll just stop showing up. And this is a huge, huge issue in places where you've got more and more people moving and more and more restaurants and stuff like that. And they, they can't keep anybody, but that's because the economy is good. And so to me, it's just like, all right, well, when that economy turns, which it will at some point, a lot of these people are going to now realize that the, the barrier entry has gotten higher and thus they must increase their skills, their service, their attitude and whatnot. So it, it'll be interesting to see on the flip side, but, but you know, it's not that way right now. So, Mr. Yeah. Sadiq has to suffer. What,
2: what do you think about <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you, my brother, um, uh, for letting me vent a little bit earlier. I <laughs> no, hey. Plugging I in this, the Sandmarc's Chris. I appreciate that. What do you think about the high barrier to entry in terms of jiu-jitsu being uh, more expensive than, let's say, joining a boxing yeah. gym? Yeah. And also high barrier entry in terms of um, jujitsu is is you know is difficult right yeah. and um, uh I think oftentimes you know it's just I think one of the things that I've learned from jiu-jitsu and in boxing but i, I you know you' I'm seeing it again in jiu Jitsu in a lot of ways and in a different at a different age what well, is is don't take the uh, you know take the past less traveled is obviously Going to give you sometimes the most benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't re- necessarily like in, in life, oftentimes people want to take the path of least resistance. Yeah. And sometimes that is not what's going to benefit you in business and it's not going to benefit you in jujitsu. Yeah. You know, I have a personal example of that and we were talking about it actually. Um, my dear friend and uh, one of my best coaches, uh, Carter Fisk. Oh, yeah. Um, was teaching me today or uh on this past saturday you know i spent a lot of time not ever working from my guard you know being a a smaller individual i always fought from white belt and now you know being a brown belt um to get into a top position right Yeah. yeah that for me was the path of least resistance yeah but i'm finding now that that necessarily didn't serve me it, it it made my my bottom game you know weak because you don't work you don't work it a lot right yeah. so in an effort to remedy that uh um coach carter went ahead and, and, and crushed me and smashed so, me for a good couple now. hours <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, we're going to see if, if we can make that bottom game a, a little bit better yeah. but obviously it was something that I shied away from and, in and, and why, because, you know, I don't want to, I didn't want to be in these bad positions. I yeah. wanted to be in a position that I was comfortable in. I wanted to be in a position where I felt I could win. And, yeah. you know, that was taking the path of least resistance. Sometimes yeah. it was just about, I didn't want to get hurt. Right. So I'm putting yeah. myself in a situation where I can wake up and go to work the next day, or, or at least, yeah. um, you know, put on my clothes, <laughs> but, uh, um, but now I'm finding, right, like that, 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 that didn't, that didn't benefit me. So I think it's a reoccurring concept and an idea yeah. that we've, we've talked about before. And it's something that you can preach, but it, it doesn't matter how much you preach it. Sometimes people aren't going to, they're going to do what they're going to do. Right. The thing yeah. that I would say is, um, take, you know, in business, uh, sometimes it's better to take the path of least resistance, do what's harder because if it's hard for you, it's probably hard for everyone else. And everyone else is going to not want to do that. They're going to want to take the path of least resistance, which is why they're not going to see the same level of success that you probably will. Jiu-jitsu is very similar to that, right? Like do the things that people don't want to do. Yeah. People don't want to be smashed from bottom side control, right? But spend your early days in that position and get good from there and get good at learning to work your guard. You know, everybody immediately wants to be the guy that's finishing from mount and finishing from the back and, you know, being dominant in all those positions. Um, but really that is the path of least resistance, right? That's not the hardest path. The hardest path is putting yourself in these bad positions or at least finding partners that you can work with where you can safely put yourself in these bad positions and then begin to try to problem solve from there. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, and I'll, I'll use the, I'll throw throw back a boxing analogy on this too, because I think that, um, for those poor souls listening who are not jujitsu people, I feel bad for you. But boxing is a little more visually uh, understood by people. And, you know, whenever you see, uh, it's funny, in my neighborhood, a new boxing gym just came online, right, uh, right by the Alamo Draft House. So you know, it's like when you think of hardcore boxing gyms, you think of Alamo Draft House. So it's like one of these (laughs) things where it's, it's uh, not what I would call a real boxing gym. It's one of those Boxing, fitness gyms, or back in the the 90s they would call that executive boxing. And with mm-hmm. all those things, they always have the same thing, which is all they teach you is punching, like hitting the bag, or maybe shadow boxing, or maybe they'll like have you jump rope and then hit the bag or something like that for. And like, oh, you burned all these calories, oh man. And you know maybe they'll have somebody hold mitts for you, and then they'll do the whole siddiqui thing, which is, oh man, you hurt my hand, you're hitting so hard. Oh, <laughs> I kind of wouldn't want to get in the ring with you, right? But they're not to me. It's what uh, what separates really learning something like boxing is the way you teach it, which is you teach mainly defense first. And that is something that, you know, offense, as you've said many times, is something that most people instinctually have an idea of hitting, even if they haven't been in fights. Like you just take little kids, you make your wife angry. Maybe she'll hit you. I mean, like it's 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 such a understood thing. But to be calm in the face of somebody throwing punches is a skill that has to be not only developed, but it's something you have to continually work on because I think you do lose it if you haven't sparred for a while or anything like that. When someone, it's, it can still be psychologically overwhelming because your instinct is to turn away and to close your eyes. So to keep your eyes open and keep your head moving and all that, and then learn how to capitalize in between, that takes a lot of training. And to me, that's something that's in my mind, more important, I'd rather have good defense than good offense when it comes to striking. I'd rather be much harder to hurt than have powerful punches. And so it's sort of taught differently. Um, Mm. with things like jujitsu and barriers to entry, I mean, I think it's from a business point of view, it's probably better that there is a high barrier, relatively high barrier to entry in terms of cost, because any business, I mean, you look at, jujitsu school owners versus boxing trainers a boxing trainer is basically broke unless they find a boxer that takes off and then usually what happens is the boxer immediately gets a new trainer as soon as they start getting some fame they get a the <laughs> trainer so you're screwed either way and it's the reason why when you go to a real boxing gym like the place that most grew up in and those type of gyms they're not in the best area of town They certainly don't have the fanciest equipment. Everything looks used and grungy and dirty and it smells bad and blah, blah, blah. Like that's what boxing gyms are known as. Um, with a jujitsu school, it's sort of sometimes was that when I started, but nowadays it's jujitsu schools are very nice and everything looks good. And the mats are clean and all that. And that it comes at a premium and that comes at a premium cost. Um, so for a school owner, I think that's a good thing. Um, for the realities of the sport to get the best athletes, it's probably not the best thing. Like having that barrier to entry is good for business, for the progression of the sport. If you really want the level to go as high as possible, the barrier to entry would need to be lower. And in Brazil, they do this somewhat where they have basically free jiu-jitsu for the favelas, the, the essentially the slums in Brazil that are up in the mountains. Um, and they've produced some of the best jiu-jitsu guys of all time have come from those places. So, in america if you wanted the level of jujitsu to reach its pinnacle you would need to have that as part of like the police athletic league the boys and girls club all those kind of things the big brother you know all those groups if they really wanted jujitsu to take off they would have to figure out a way to to put it in there because a lot of your best potential athletes just simply will never be able to afford it um but speaking as business owners there's no real way to make money on that unless you get it subsidized somehow. So from a business point of view, barrier to entry is good. And that's mainly what we're focused on. Um, And the irony of it is from almost anything, you see this in jujitsu, but I saw this in real estate all the time. And I never made the connection until later on, which is that when I used to offer rental properties or selling thing, you know, selling properties or, or doing anything like that, something where I'm looking for somebody to come in and buy a property or rent the property, the people that tried to negotiate price right away, before they had seen it, before I had looked at them, looked at their application, ran their credit, those people would never, ever, ever, ever buy or rent the property. 100% of the time, they would never come through, ever. And it's funny in jujitsu because I've talked to a lot of school owners, the people that come in and they're like, jujitsu is so expensive. Then it's not for you. There's the door because they will try and bargain down on price. They will try and do this. And this is why people don't like to train pro fighters, because pro fighters have in their mind like, well. I'm fighting, so therefore I should be able to train for free. I don't quite understand why there's that mentality, but that's the mentality. And, And with school owners, when you have the person trying to negotiate and trying to lower that barrier of entry, to me, it should always be a no because they'll always be a crappy student. They will go somewhere else. As soon as there's a cheaper place, they will never have loyalty. And in many ways they are slapping you in the face by saying your product isn't worth what you say it is. Like you're saying my school's worth 200 bucks a month and they're complaining and saying, oh, it should be this. It should be that. Well, good. Why don't you get a black belt? And then you offer the price that you think it should be. So talk to me when
2: <laughs> that happens,
1: you know? So I think that the barrier entry can be a good thing because it actually really determines if somebody really wants to train, you know, I mean, I, I, I was working two jobs and rode a bicycle. I didn't have a car when I started jujitsu. I mean, like it was something where I saw people go out and drink and spend money doing this and doing that. I was saving 200, 220 bucks a month or whatever it was back then. It was super expensive to train jujitsu because it was important to me. I mean, like this, this idea of like, it's only for, it's only for rich people, whatever. It it certainly helps if you got money, but if you want to do it, you, you ask the question, not like, Oh, this is too expensive. You don't you know, you ask the question, how can I afford this? What do I need to do? Or what do I need to stop doing? You know, it's, it's amazing to me, the, the number of people that complain about how much something costs. And yet I see they take trips to Vegas or they're always, you know, going out or they're going to bars or they're doing this or doing that, like all these things you could cut out and then you would have that money to train. So, uh, but I think for a school owner, it's it's good in a way because you kind of see who's going to be serious about it and who's not. So be snobby. I guess it's good.
2: Either in oh. jujitsu or warehouses. So, yeah, there we go. <laughs> One seventy. 175. There you go. 175 yep. in the books to yep. re-listen or re-watch this episode. Go to the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Also, check us out on Apple iTunes. Like, review, subscribe. Shout out to Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. Nobody can be you better than you. Be authentic, Robles. We make custom geese. Yellow Pine Investments makes custom warehouses. Check them out. Next Sunday, we are having our boy, Calum Callista. He's going to talk about his new dvd sneaky submissions in the no for no gi um wow. he put one out in the gi this one's going to be for no gi we're going to talk about that also see what kalen has been up to uh shout out to steve fordensky jiu-jitsu on the go check out his platform online it's a great supplemental way to supplement your training i'll say it, it like that it and works. then uh yeah but i do what i want and uh, <laughs> if you're in the austin area check out chaparral moving they got moving down to a science I'm Mo, that's my brother Carter. And as always, we wish you guys nothing but the best, both on and off the map. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.
0: That's it for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu of Life. Your hosts are Carter Fisk and Mo Siddiqui. This podcast is brought to you by Robles, makers of the world's finest custom Jiu-Jitsu apparel. You can subscribe to the Robles newsletter to get the exclusive content at rollbliss.com You can find more episodes of this show on our website at thejujitsuoflife.com and you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening and we wish you a great week both on and off the mat.